This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And together, we're the Anxiety Chicks. Each week, we will dive deep into a different topic about anxiety and the real-life experiences we all go through. While giving you all the top tools and tips you need for your journey to recovery. Our degrees may say therapist and dietitian, but together we are just real chicks on our own healing journeys too. Join us as we take you from panic to power and reduce the stigma of mental health. Remember, you're never alone and we're all in this together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepanera. And I'm sick, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor. Oh, Taylor, you really show up, though, girl. I mean, <laughs> I, you, I feel so bad because you did not have to do this this morning. Well, you, if we didn't, I didn't have even a guest, sick, you guys, by the way. Okay, if we didn't on. have a guest, I probably wouldn't because I feel like it's annoying to listen to someone be like, you know, if I sniffle or anything, but we got oh. an amazing guest, so. You don't sound too bad. You sound a little bit like a little. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? It's okay. It ha- well, I am here to support you. So if at any time you need to sneeze or you need to go take a break, <laughs> you just let us know, okay? We got like this. Everybody will he- understand. Um, but yeah, we're excited because we have a really special guest today. And um, this is something that we've want an episode we've wanted to do for a long time because we've gotten a lot of requests about trauma and the connection to anxiety um, when experiencing trauma and what trauma means and what it looks like. And um, I've done personally a lot of work like on my own traumas. Um, And recently, I kind of started learning more about this concept of sort of like, first of all, I want to say that trauma looks different for everybody. But um, I've learned that, you know, no one's experience is the same. So I feel like uh, we'll get into this, though. I I will get into this. But I have I have sort of sort of recognizing that that everyone's experience is so different with trauma and trauma doesn't always have to mean this, this sort of like catastrophic and horror. Like there are terrible, like different um, experiences that people have that are very, very traumatic as far as, um, and we'll probably go into that, but I'm recognizing that there's even other experiences in people's lives that are considered trauma too, that I didn't realize. And I think that's amazing to know. So we're excited. I'm going to introduce our guest. I don't know. Do you want to say anything about, else about trauma, Taylor, before we start? Oh, no. I, I agree. We, we had we had okay, we had okay. another guest on that some of you guys might have listened to, and we kind of got into some of it, but we didn't like fully dive into it. And I think that's when I first heard about like little T and big T's and how like 
Yes. You know? And so when I when I heard about that, it's like you don't have to go through this like catastrophic event. Yeah. So yeah. I think this is going to be a really awesome um, yeah. episode just learning about how trauma can go into a physical. So. Yeah. 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 All interesting perfect. to me. Okay, good. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Nicole Sachs. Um, she's amazing. I actually DM'd her on Instagram and I was like, I need to have you on the podcast. <laughs> your <laughs> content's amazing. Um, you, your, I mean, message and everything is amazing. And so I, we had talked back and forth and she decided to come on. So I'm so excited. So here's a little bit about her. She has been in the world of mind body medicine for over 20 years. And essentially she's a trauma expert, but she's also a licensed clinical social worker who's, um, she's not, practicing in private practice so much anymore, um, but she'll tell you a little bit more about what she's doing. And we're so excited to have you here today. And we can't wait to kind of hear a little bit more about your um, experience working with trauma and kind of how it connects to anxiety and the mind and the body and the connection. I mean, I am a holistic practitioner, so I'm so excited that we sort of seem to have the same mission. Um, so welcome. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and kind of your work? Well, thank you. That was an awesome introduction and I'm so psyched to be here with you guys. Um, okay. Tell me a little bit, tell you a little bit about me. So I'll just give you the real quick, um, cliff notes of me, which is this work started for me out of necessity because I was 19 and I was in college and I had what they call an acute pain incident. So my back went out completely and I couldn't function. I had to be literally physically carried home from college and went through all the tests and all the MRIs and x-rays. And what was determined when I was 19 is that I have a condition, still have it, I'm 49, called acute degenerative spondylolisthesis, which means that um, on MRI, it looks like I am broken. And the orthopedic surgeon said, well, this means that your life is going to be strictly limited, no exercise, no travel, all sorts of restrictions. And the likelihood that I would have a biological child was slim to none because of the weight that the baby would have to put on my back. Oh, so, my. so the reason that I begin here is because because I entered into this work as a chronic pain patient, having no idea the connection between my childhood trauma, my childhood anxiety, which was severe and the mm -hmm. first mind-body symptom I ever had, but I never connected the two. And finally, at the age of 19, when my back went out, um, I started having these tests. And of course, I was convinced, as anyone would logically, that if I have pain in my back and I have an abnormal MRI, then of course the MRI is the reason for my pain. That was a very logical connection. And what ended up wow. happening in the by and by, which like I said, I'm really condensing the story, but anyone who wants to hear it, my story is all over the place, is that um, I found the work of Dr. John Sarno. I opened myself to mind-body medicine at a really young age in my 20s. And through understanding the, the relationship between the mind, the body, our anxiety, our repressed trauma, mm -hmm. and all these things that so many doctors and practitioners are talking about finally now, over 20 years later, 30 years later, that my pain was never a result of my abnormal MRI. I did the work to understand my repressed trauma and allow it safely to rise. My pain went away completely. I had three biological children and exercise till the day they were born. I'm looking at 50 and I'm a cyclist, a runner. I, I've never had a surgery or an injection. Um, 
I'm in my best shape of my life. So the reason I'm saying this to you is because it's like a really quick condensed success story of what I see with people I've worked with around the world thousands and thousands of times. Whether the diagnosis is a physical abnormality or it's fibromyalgia or migraines or it's Mm -hmm. panic disorder or it's stuff with the gut, which always comes back to anxiety, or it's um, anything with the head, anything with pelvic pain, skin disorders, and it goes on and on and on. There's neuropathy. There are so many different ways that – and I use the term anxiety a lot. Our stress and our anxiety, and then that's all interchangeable with repressed trauma because it's all creating the same effect is expressed through our bodies and it expre- as expressed through our hearts. And, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who suffers from anxiety knows that there is no real way to separate what's happening in our physical body than from what's happening in our heart. You know, you could get bad news and immediately your heart starts beating, your mouth goes dry, you lose your appetite. That's an emotional yeah. stimuli that's causing a physical reaction. So everything I teach people, they already believe. It's just when they get into a chronic condition, it becomes – fear becomes the catalyst. So chronic anxiety and panic and pain and illness is actually an epidemic of fear and meaning because that causes the nervous system to stay in uh, sustained heightened fight or flight which causes uh, all of our systems to act in certain ways that are not sustainable over time. That reaction that's the same as we were when we were primitive man and woman, it was supposed to get us out of situations that were going to kill us in the moment. It is not a sustainable way to live, which is why we're a society racked with anxiety and stress illness. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> there yeah. I am. Oh my gosh. Well, no, you already said so much. It's like, okay, we can end the show. I'm just kidding. No. You- <laughs> and soon. Okay. Yeah. Uh no, that was that was amazing already. Um, and I as you were as you were kind of talking about the mind-body connection, I just was uh, all I kept thinking about was, and all the listeners know because I share my life, is just my my GI issues mm-hmm. and how um I've learned in the past like 10 years as I explored my own anxiety that I always had stomach issues as a child, always. And so many, so many times, um, you know, children don't really have the language to talk about their feelings. We have to teach them that so they get a lot of physical symptoms. And stomach ache is always like for children, if, if you don't know if your child is feeling worried or scared and they're like, I have a tummy ache. And maybe there you've ruled out that they've eaten any, you know, eaten anything yeah. bad or whatever. They're probably anxious. So yeah. I just noticed that about myself. And so recognizing that you were talking a lot about like that connection, it's something that I didn't even learn until the last couple of years. And it's crazy. Um, and then I started diving deeper into also my life and my experience and my own traumas. And so I'd love for you to kind of t- talk a little bit more about trauma um, and what it is and you know if there if it is defined or clinically or i don't know like what is trauma so trauma is so important to understand because what we do so often when we're not feeling well or we're not feel we're feeling like we're not measuring up in some way shape or form you know we're not thriving the way society feels that we should thrive we often turn to shame and we blame ourselves and we say i'm not adding up something's i'm doing something wrong and the truth is that so often our trauma is so heavy it's almost like walking through the world in concrete boots and so to be able to acknowledge it for 
what it is, is incredibly freeing. And it opens the door to do the kind of healing work that really changes your life and changes the way your body functions. So I think that the most misunderstood thing about trauma is that people think trauma needs to be capital T trauma. And of course, capital T trauma is trauma. Among it, abuse, neglect, the witnessing of horrible things like war or domestic violence. You know, anything that makes you a pandemic. A, a pandemic. A <laughs> pandemic is trauma, especially if you were closely related to mm-hmm. somebody who was incredibly affected by it, you know, or passed. I mean, this is this is real, this is capital T trauma. However, and lowercase t trauma is so ubiquitous and every single person who walks the earth has experienced it. And to be able to acknowledge it for what it is opens up incredible paths to healing. So essentially what lower lower t trauma is, is what I like to call death by a thousand paper cuts. The little things that we experience as we're growing up that lead us to have to bank and repress our emotions, not being seen, not being heard, being bullied, being an energetic mismatch for a parent. This is something that I think isn't talked about a lot because oftentimes parents who are on the surface trying their best or are not overtly abusive or neglectful, we just look at our childhood and we go, well, I mean, I don't know. My mom was a good person and nobody ever you know, hit me or put me out in the cold. But here's the thing. We are born with our nature and then we're born into our nurture. And if your nature, let's say, is very shy or very hesitant or or frightened of things and you've got a mom who's like, hey, let's go. Come on, everybody jump in the pool. And you feel unsafe all the time because Mm -hmm. the person who innately you feel is supposed to get you and essentially read your mind and protect you is telling you to do things that make you feel like you're going to die. Now, this happens so often in childhood or the opposite. You're raised with like incredibly repressed, shut down parents who are like, you know, maybe really affected by their church community or their social structure and wherever. And you are like in self-expressed or maybe you're gay or maybe you're just a little extra in certain ways. And you're always told, be quiet, settle down, go over there. You're embarrassing me. All of these things are incredibly traumatic because they get at the biggest core wound that I think any of us have, which is I'm not good. I'm bad. I'm not okay. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. I mean, my God, you know, I'm a mother of three. I don't know if you guys have kids, but it's like to me, forget about if they eat their vegetables or if they write thank you notes, okay? This is like, do they feel that they're worthy of love and success and connection? Is kind of it. And, you know, there's very few parents that are so aware of this that they can overcome their own nature in order to be what their kids need. And let me tell you something. I am not here to tell everybody that you're doing it wrong because I screw it up all the time. Not My kids are not all a complete energetic match to me. And in the places where they're not, sometimes I fall short and we all have to forgive ourselves for that. But I will say that this is lower T trauma because what happens over a lifetime is we quietly make decisions about ourselves, that we are not welcome, that we are not okay as we are, that we're not enough, that we're not worthy of being heard and seen. And, and, and when that happens, it becomes sort of a, a negative cyclical process because what will happen is we might feel that way at home, but then we show up at school. And we start looking to other people as a mirror, as a reflection most often 
to with with the concept of confirmation bias to mm-hmm. prove to ourselves what we already feel about ourselves. So if I think I'm not worthy and I walk into school and I see someone give me the side eye, that person could have just had a bad day or been upset about something at their home, but I'll decide I'm not okay. I'm not welcome here. I, nobody's my friend. And these are just like I'm just pulling examples out of the air. I mean, I, I no, I, I. It's so interesting that you you mentioned literally all of the major core beliefs that most of my clients that I see in my practice, and I specialize in anxiety disorders. That's and and I um I mostly work as far as a cognitive behavioral therapist. Um, but I'm you know work within a lot of modalities. But um, the core beliefs of so many of my clients are exactly what you said. Um, like I'm not good enough. I'm mm-hmm. unlovable. I'm worthless. Yes. And um, so like, it's so interesting hearing you talk about how those traumas do do connect with what, what happens in our mind as we kind of live life. You know, all of these, those core beliefs create all of these hundreds of thoughts every day that are so intrusive and, and a lot of times irrational because when you get down to the, you know, work of it, um, everybody is lovable and everybody is worthy and everyone is good enough, right, in their own way. But there is just these these thoughts that are making us believe that we're not. So let me, yes, yes, absolutely, which is why anxiety is like a, a pandemic in itself mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, yeah. and has been long before COVID. So let me tell you, because I think this would be helpful for your listeners, what happens in the body when we are required to repress this many emotions because this is the in my in my um expertise in my practice the number one reason for chronic anxiety and panic and gut issues and so many of the things that are connected to anxiety so the brain and the nervous system function in one main role which is to save your life they are protective above all else because as i often say to my clients if you're not alive none of these problems would matter anymore yeah. so yeah. you must be alive and so what people need to get is that the brain and the nervous system perceive your repressed emotional world, all those tiny little sadnesses and grief and fear and rage that you felt because you didn't feel like you were enough and the way you walked through the world. Your nervous system perceives that that bundle of repressed emotions as a greater predator to your life than your physical anxiety, pain, symptoms, gut issues, headaches, whatever it is, however it's manifesting in you. That, the gut issues, headaches, physical stuff is actually considered by your nervous system to be safe, which is so crazy because it makes everyone so miserable as it should. And I I usually call this safe in the unsafest way because you can be a person with a migraine disorder, hating your life, complaining about it constantly, going to practitioner after practitioner, your nervous system is psyched. You're safe. First of all, you're quiet. You'll lie down anytime the big bad world out there is is trying to convince you that you're not okay, which by the way, you're open to that conversation because you've been having it your whole life. And then you're lying down. You have reasons to cancel plans. I mean, it's it sounds crazy, but it's like we have to unveil and uncover what's really happening. And so 
Let's say you have a panic disorder. You might think, this is the end of me. Your brain and your nervous system are in equilibrium in that point because they know that if you need protection, they can protect you. All they need to do is send the signals to your brain that lead to the reactions in your body to lead you to have a panic attack, and you will no longer be exposed to that which will kill you, which is estimated by your nervous system as your emotional triggers. And so that's sort of the basis of everything I do because what I'm doing is saying, okay, first of all, we need to understand this is going on inside of us, which it 100% is. And second of all, we have to do the work with belief and patience and kindness for ourselves because this is not easy stuff to unearth the things, to look into the shadow, to look into what we need to look at. And in the process of doing so, the most freaking miraculous thing happens, which is the symptoms stop firing. And I want to tell you guys and anyone out there with my hand to my heart, I have watched people overcome the most, the deepest and most problematic issues, whether they be connected to anxiety or physical symptoms by doing this work. Because as soon as the brain and the nervous system go from fight or flight to rest and repair, Mm -hmm. the symptoms are no longer necessary to save your life and they just (coughs) go away. It's amazing. Well, I'm I'm curious because Taylor, you have panic disorder or you had, uh, you haven't had panic attack in a while, but um, did any, any of what she said, like, I don't know. Do you feel like you that's that was something that you recognize? I know I think because panic disorder is so physical, right? Like there's so many physical symptoms. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious if if you feel like that's that's resonated with you. Um I think I was just like a bit confused by it. Uh for me, like I don't know if it was so are you saying like every person who has panic disorder has it's trauma Uh yeah let me explain it because when this is this is what this what's happening what happens to person while they're having a panic attack they don't know what i'm saying is happening what i'm saying is happening is an unconscious process that leads to the nervous system feeling so unsafe that the signals of a panic attack are sent so this is really brain science so essentially what happens is you have a lot of repressed we all do every like it's literally like part of being a human being so this is this is nothing to do with pathology and i don't believe that anxiety is a disorder you know that's kind of the basis of my whole anxiety course the first paragraph of my anxiety course is anxiety is not a disorder it is an absolutely natural byproduct of being human and being alive because we're taught by our nervous system to be afraid because being afraid saves our lives and because you know our world our current world is an onslaught of predators whether it be triggers from our childhood or, you know, our boss coming saying, you know, come into my office and you're feeling like you did when you were six with your dad. I mean, there's so much happening and it's all under the surface. So what I'm saying is that when people have panic disorders, it's a result. And, and if we don't want to use the word trauma, sometimes trauma is a bit too triggering. All it is is the natural, normal consequence of being alive and having to suppress so many of our emotions. Because if you think about it, the natural grief or fear or rage we feel as young children is not acceptable and welcome. We are told mm. constantly, that's enough, stop crying, don't be angry, go to your room, you know, that's not appropriate, be nice, get over it, you know, all the things that we hear, that gets banked. And so then the reservoir is like up to here, you know, picture like a science speaker inside your body and the reservoir, once it reaches maximum density and you're like on the edge, 
only one small trigger needs to happen for the nervous system to decide, wait a second, she's not safe right now. If she feels one more thing related to how angry that makes her or how sad or how scared, because it's all underneath, it's all repressed, she's going to die, which of course you wouldn't, but this is the misperception of the brain and the nervous system. And there's so many scientific studies around this. So I know it's a lot to kind of swallow in one conversation. I think it just hit like the, uh, when you asked me the question, like the answer just kind of hit me. So like, okay. I feel like I know people who have possibly, or I, I do know people who have like gone through like some of like the little teas. I would say I've gone through. How come I got panic disorder and they didn't? Or like my husband, like his childhood was kind of a lot, and he is the most like no symptoms, like <laughs> nothing kind of guy. So is it? Could you be like more predisposition, like pre- predisposed? Yeah, yeah, predisposed to developing it, and like. Um, so like, say like someone in your family had panic disorder too. Are you just like, you're just that baseline's higher maybe? That's a really awesome question. So the first thing I'll say about that, and I really want to also normalize this is some of us are born more sensitive than others. And that's not just a buzzword. I know this whole thing about highly sensitive person can have some, you know, a little bit of positive and negative, um, depending on people who are listening. But I really truly believe that there are people, I among them that are born with a higher level of, um, of, of, of the way energy affects you. And so, um, like, and I, and, and I'm watching it with my three children and I have two stepkids too. And I look at like my stepdaughter. Okay. Literally the world could fall in and she'd go, Oh yeah, it'll be all right. And like the breeze will blow and my son will be like, we need to talk about it. Like it's, 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 and they're being raised by the same people. They're, they're, they're being influenced by very, they go to the same school. They have similar friends. It's, it's, we are all different. So there is, yes, a definite predisposition. However, this is so complicated and so intricate because like if you hear that cliche, we only understand 6% of our brain. You have to remember that when you're trying to understand this, because this is such a complex process that if you try to wrap your brain all the way around it, it'll just give you anxiety. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't try, don't try too hard. Just kind of think of it this way, that if we are predisposed in a sense, that's one way that we are more um, susceptible. But another way is this. Let's say your parent, your mom did have a panic, panic disorder and you grew up with it. You have a lot of attachment and meaning to that, a lot of fear, a lot of dread, a lot of, oh my God, that will never be me. Please let that never be me. A lot of um, attachment to resentment because maybe she wasn't there the way you needed her to be and like the mom down the street didn't have that and that's not fair. There's so many feelings that what tends to happen, and this is one of the places where you kind of just have to understand that the brain is complex, is... If the nervous system's trying to protect you, it will find the path of least resistance because it has to pick something that's going to work. So, for example, if you're a person who like you were never anxious, no big deal, but your mom had migraines, you might get migraines and and then of course you say, "Well, of course I have migraines. It runs in my family." But actually what I found in many, many years of clinical work is it has a lot more to do with the meaning and the interpretation that one puts on the, on the symptom rather than the fact that it ran in the family and that once everything is understood and the emotions are expressed just to yourself, by the way, this is not about confronting someone or changing your life, which is like a conversation maybe for 10 minutes from now. But, you know, 
it's it's does that help a little bit, Taylor? <laughs> she says yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, I also I also think that there are people that just are innately resilient too. So, Absolutely. you know, there's so, like, I was just going to say the example that you do about your children. I mean, I've worked um, in the inner city for years and years in downtown Philadelphia and, and worked with so many children that had experienced daily, just like violence and had, having just to survive their environment every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember working with a couple kids that, yeah, had very similar experiences, you know, with their family and they were from the same family and they went to the same school, you know, somewhere the same age and um, had experienced a lot of trauma. And, you know, as they grew older, one of them was just a little bit more resilient and was able to kind of um, move towards a path of um, you know, support and was able to kind of heal themselves a little bit more and tr- and know what was had a little bit more self-awareness and the other siblings sort of just went down another path. And, you know, I think there's just something to resiliency that's just this innate quality for some people. And also, you know, with any type of, um, any type of, uh, I, yeah, I don't want to say like when you struggle with anxiety, depression, whatever it is that you're struggling with, with your mental health, there are so many factors that go into that. There is no like cause and effect, you know? So there's just isn't. So you, someone you, like, what What made me call, have a panic disorder? Like no one's going to be able to tell you that. Is it because in fifth grade you were bullied for f- a week straight? I don't know. Is it because, you know, your mom had panic disorder? It could be so many factors like biology, family, education, you know, society. I mean, there's so many trauma. There's so many factors that go into our experience and our worldview that I think some people with anxiety, at least I see this, want an answer so bad. <laughs> Absolutely. Because we're just, it's like, you know, we. I think that's yeah. where um, self-compassion comes in. Yeah. We're all, yeah. We're all just trying our best. And acceptance. We're all just trying to like feel okay and to show up for our lives and to our loved ones and our work. You know, we're all just trying so hard. And I think that people seek um, understanding of things as a way to feel safe and a way Mm -hmm. to feel like they're enough, you know, going back to the core wound. And if there's one thing I can say as a message of hope to anyone who's sort of listening to this sort of complicated conversation and saying, what the heck? It's that no matter no matter what is causing this repression of this bank of emotion and trauma inside, no matter what, no matter if it's your nature, your nurture, your experiences, your little T trauma, your big T trauma, the solution is the same, which is what, at least in, from where I'm sitting, and which is that when we pause, I'm a big believer in the pause. Anyone who looks at my Instagram stuff, I write pause so constantly because we need to just press that old 80s tape recorder, let that pause button stay down and say, okay, okay, okay. Deep breath. There are things I can do now to change my situation. And one of them is to understand that when we just stop running from that which feels so uncomfortable and we just pause and we find the right tools because we don't want to traumatize ourselves more to look gently and with self-compassion into those shadowy places, into those places where we're storing stuff as, as informed by our nature, as informed by our predispositions, whatever. And you excavate enough of it. And this is not about solving your whole life. It's just about bringing the reservoir down, that it's not at maximum density. The symptoms do stop firing. 
I mean, I just, I cannot say enough how I've watched, I've watched people with panic disorder so severe that they become housebound, thriving in years and years without panic and years and years and, and, and like having children and going to like very complicated jobs. This happens for people all the time when you just know, oh wait, there's something for me to do about it. Because I think that's the biggest Mm -hmm. problem with anxiety. It feels like there's nothing to do. It feels like there's nothing to grab onto Mm -hmm. that we're just sort of waving in the wind every day trying to figure out how to get our feet under yeah. us, you know? Well, and that's why people want answers because they think yeah. if a person says, yes, this is this is what it is and this is exactly where it came from, okay, now I know what to do because I know mm-hmm. exactly where it came from. And that, but that, that's literally been part, the hugest part of my healing is like, I won't ever exactly know. I'm diving so deep into the history of myself and my family and my biology and, you know, me attachment theory and like learning about, you know, my early, early childhood that I remember nothing. I mean, like learning so much about me in relationships and just learning and learning and learning and doing all this like work on myself. Sometimes I have to sit back and just say, I'm I'm first of all trying to control something, right? And anxiety right. is all about just feeling not in control, right? So at least it gives me a sense of control. Like I am working on myself. I think that's great. But sometimes it gets to a point where I'm just like, you know what? I need some acceptance for what it goes on with me. I, I mean, worry and fear is actually good for you. Like without it, then you wouldn't be able to be protected by actual danger. Yes. I mean, it's what gives you the protection from actual experiences that are dangerous, right? That tells you what to do. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So, you know, I just, I think, yeah, you know, acceptance, but yes, self-compassion and being able to um, work with, work with a therapist or someone who is, can, can, someone you can feel, whether it's a therapist, coach, someone you feel safe enough with that can hold space with you with all of this is also been like such a huge piece. And that's, and that's ideal. And I want to say that I know not everyone can do that. And that's one of the things I help people a lot with in terms of my online offerings is just to say, listen, not everybody can afford a therapist, but yeah. there's tons of stuff that you can do for yourself. And I lay it out so people can start feeling safe because I agree with you. And the acceptance piece I mean, what I like to do for myself and for anyone who I work with is practice sort of coexisting acceptance and action. So it's like the action piece has to happen. We have to do things in order to make ourselves evolve. You know, faith without works is dead. You can't just say, oh, I believe and I'm going to sit in my bed and do nothing. Mm -hmm. However, acceptance is so key 
like you were saying, because Mm -hmm. we all just want to feel in control and control is absolutely an illusion and -hmm. will never happen. And once we realize that and once we say, okay, transformation begins with the radical acceptance of what is, it's Mm -hmm. not helped along. It begins with saying, okay, I give up. I give up is one of my favorite postures. I give up. I have no more good ideas. I'm going to pause. I'm going to do the next right considered action, whatever I have in front of me that I know will help me next, even if it's just walking outside and letting the sun hit my face. It's it's whatever is next. And then moving on in that fashion, it changes your entire nervous system functioning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like that you're talking about action because – do you have um, – but what do you recommend, I guess, for someone who wants to maybe take action and work on that nervous system regulation? Um, what would you say would be some good exercises or good action steps? So my my the foundation work of what I do is called journal speak. So it is a journaling practice, but it's pretty much – it's very different than what a lot of people would consider a journaling practice. It's It's like this. If we're going to go on the fact that our repressed emotions are reaching maximum density and causing the nervous system to kick into fight or flight, which causes a lot of symptoms, if we, if we can just kind of take that as, as a truth, then the work part is about how do I gently and kindly and safely then look to these repressed emotions and unearth them? How can I help myself? And the work I teach is journal speak. And I'll tell you guys a really quick story about it because it was very impactful in my own life. When I met with Dr. Sarno in the city and I was on the height of my chronic pain symptoms, he explained to me that one of the best ways to understand ourselves was to journal. He didn't really give me very much um, guidance around it. He just said, it's a really, really good way to know yourself. And so the work that he taught and the work that I've kind of evolved through his through my partnership with him is you make three lists. And the lists are childhood, daily life, and personality. And childhood could also be called past stressors because people like to write me a lot and say, when did childhood end? It, childhood ended as long as whatever happened in those memories is not something that is happening right now to you. So like if you married the guy you dated in high school, he's not in childhood. He's here. <laughs> he's right here. You got to mm-hmm. deal with him. Um, but anyway, so the, so it's a bulleted list. It doesn't have to mean anything to anyone but you. It's like that time on fifth grade in the playground, if that it brings up a memory for you, that's on your list. If it's I don't remember anything from my early childhood, that's on the list. If it's um, I always had headaches as a child, that's on the list. And then big topics like money and moving and bullying and new friends and, you know, and um, shyness and, and big topics that might have affected everything. So that goes on the childhood list. Daily life, your work, your job, the name of every person in your family, your aging mother, your dead dog, your, you know, your stresses of this, this, and this, anything that is getting you. And then personality is just, it's a shorter list, but it's so important. It's everything that the lens through which you see the entire world is filtered through your personality. Are you a perfectionist? Are you your own worst critic? Do you care what people think to the point where it keeps you up at night? Do Are you a goodist, which means it's so important for people to see you as a good person? Um, are you codependent? Do you feel that you're not okay unless other people are okay? By the way, I'm all of them, so don't be ashamed if you are. So <laughs> all, all of those things. So, so you make these bulleted lists, okay? And you do it with like 
a total open heart, okay? This is not a shameful exercise. This is, I'm partnering with me. I am going to do this empowering, incredible, heart-opening work for myself, and I'm just going to sit quietly, maybe get some tea, put on some music, open the windows, smell the air, and open yourself to yourself. No more hiding. Let's look at it all. Let's let's put out this beautiful landscape of who am I because yeah. it's time to be my own best friend. And once you get the list together, the journal speak practice is you set your timer for 20 minutes, you turn your phone over so you're not looking, and you tell – I don't know if we're do, we do swearing in this podcast, so I'll keep it clean, okay. but can we? Whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. This all is of, all about being real. I mean, it's not a big deal. Okay. I don't know. I never know people's rules. <laughs> but sure. I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is you have to tell the unabashed, impolite, unacceptable – unthinkable, unspeakable fucking truth. Like this is an exercise that will rewire your brain and it will save your life. And so this is not about, oh, I know everyone did their best, but my mom, you know, it was a little rough for me. It can start there. You know, you start wherever you're safe. I often say that journal speak starts sometimes like you're a court reporter. You're just telling the story of the way it happened. Just the facts, ma'am. And Mm -hmm. as you are invited, because you will be invited, I promise you, it doesn't always happen in the first session, you will be invited from your deepest knowing and from your heart to tell a harder truth. And as it rises, you say it and you say it and you say it. And this little story about me is when I was in the worst of my chronic pain. So my chronic pain was completely eliminated by understanding the mind-body connection young. And then after I had my first two kids, I had a horrible relapse where I was in terrible chronic pain for a year because I didn't understand that knowing what's going on wasn't enough. I had to actually do the work because all of my trauma was still bubbling in there and hadn't been seen and it was living in the dark. And so when I started doing the real work, which is what I'm describing to you, I was writing about motherhood. So I had picked motherhood off of my um, daily life list. And I'm saying things like, I'm really tired. I had, two, I, have, I had two kids under two years. And so I was like really like overwhelmed and two kids in diapers and two kids in cribs. And this wasn't the plan. And, you know, writing things, they're not lies. They're true. Mm-hmm. But there was a voice. There was a voice. And, you know, call it my higher guides. Call it my deepest self. Call it what you will. Came into my my consciousness and it said, you're lying. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not lying. This is true. And it said, you think this is why your back is screaming? You think this is why you can't get a deep breath? You think this is why your heart beats out of your chest and you can't swallow? Do you think it's why? Because you're tired? And I knew. I knew what I had to write. And I never tell this story without feeling the tears come behind my eyes because it was so powerful and it was so long ago. I wrote, I hate being a mother. And I wrote it all. I wrote, I hate it. I had the wrong baby and now I have the wrong life. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. I can't breathe. She, she, you know, and, and this really became about my relationship with my daughter who is now 19 and such a light such a light in my life and such a light in the world, but she was two. And um, she was, she looked like my husband. <laughs> exactly. She wasn't going to redeem me from my own pain. Yeah. And she, she yelled in my face and she didn't want to be kind. And I 
didn't understand what I had done wrong to not have the right child. And all of this stuff doesn't stay true. I have to tell you guys, what 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 saves your life is the darkness that doesn't stay true. It's the five-year-old inside of you. It's the inner child who yeah. hasn't been invited to speak for your yes. whole adult life. And now she's shut down and nobody's listening to her. And she's screaming through your anxiety, through your panic, through your headaches, through your stomach. She's screaming. And she will be heard any way she can be heard. And as soon as I started saying that, I said, wait a second, wait a second. I don't hate the baby. Something is deeper here. And it went right to my parents. And I had to be really honest about the decisions they made and about how repressed I was and how super anxious I was as a child. And that all came out. And then I kind of came to this resting place of like really feeling understanding of what happened with my parents. And then the self-loathing came and boy, did it come. I hate myself. You're so weak. You can't just raise kids like everyone else. What's wrong with you? I mean, the ugliest, most- So much judgment. So much judgment, but it needed to come. It kept coming and coming. And what finally I ended up resting in, which was what changed my life forever and what informs everything I teach is that- I wanted to have children to erase the pain of my own childhood in this incredibly unconscious way. I thought that if I just created the best, most perfect situation, that the loneliness and sadness and deficiencies I felt about myself would leave. And when it didn't work, I became toxic with that those those repressed emotions and that trauma. And as soon as I got it all out, I came to a place of such compassion, compassion for my little baby who is just finding her way and being a toddler and compassion for my parents and compassion for myself. And I woke up the next morning and my back pain was 80% gone, never to return. Over the next couple months, I did journal speak over many things in my list, and that was almost 20 years ago, and I have never had a day of back pain since. And all my symptom imperatives, which are my – I got headaches and I got anxiety, they come and go. I am the sky. This is, of course, Buddhist, but I am the sky, and my feelings and my trauma and my thoughts and my triggers are the weather. And because I've done this work, I can watch them float by and know that they're impermanent and know that this too shall pass. And that's why chronic stuff can't get stuck in me anymore. And and that's what I've teach for hundreds of years, it feels, um, to people all over the world. And that's what changes your life. So the journal speak practice is then followed by 10 minutes of loving kindness meditation. So what I'm asking for is 30 minutes of your day. I know you will resist it. I know you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it either. But it will literally, it rewires your neural pathways because you're no longer yep. reacting to everything anymore. So anyway, that's that's in essence the exercise, and I have tons and tons of resources, many of them free, if people want to delve into that via yes. my stuff. I love that. I mean, that's kind of a lot of what I preach as well and on my page and in my practice is just um, finding this space of self-awareness. Um, I feel like this whole journey starts with self-awareness, and um, I I talk about her a lot, and I love Dr. Nicole LaPera, yes, the holistic psychologist, and she talks about breath work mm-hmm. all the time. And so I just I love like those those two action steps as far as the self awareness, and I like the journal. Um, the what did you call it? The journal, journal journal speak journal and speak. Reason, I love that. Yeah, the reason I called it journal speak is because it's so different. Oh, oh, and this is such an important part. I almost forgot. You destroy the writing the second that you're done. So this is a really, really important part of journal speak because this is not, you know, treasure journaling for a leather bound keepsake. 
This is, as one of my favorite people, Shoshana Bean says, she's just a really cool lady and she, she's a singer and she she got better from doing my work right before she had to um, do a five-month, um, eight-show-a-week run on Broadway. And it's like, so she's very vocal about my work and I, I appreciate it and I just love her attitude. But what she says is, your journal speak is like blowing your nose into a tissue. This is very prescient for Taylor today. This is like, <laughs> your journal speak is like blowing your nose into a tissue. Why would you look at it again? It is literally an unearthing. It is an exercise of bringing up some drudge, some grossness inside of you that needed to come out, throw it away. So I say if you're doing it on a computer, you type into an empty document and click the X at the end of the 20 minutes. It says, do you want to save? Say no. Or one of my friends likes to write it into an empty email with no recipient and then just delete the email. Take care of yourself. Journal speak is a language that no one else will understand. If anyone read, I hate my daughter and I wish I wasn't a parent, I would be mortified <laughs> and it really wouldn't be taken well by my family. And also you have to give it space to change because it transformed right in that moment for me. It doesn't stay true. So journal speak is an exercise, not something to keep. If you write it on paper, which is beautiful and a lot of scientists say the, the action of putting your hand to paper is very powerful – rip it up, burn it, throw it into a public garbage can, you know, roll by your local grocery store and just throw it, whatever it takes. Just don't get it found because this isn't, I want the safety to be absolute in the, in the exercise. So this is so interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my journal, this one journal that I started in 2015, I think, and I just finished, this is like how much I space between of like writing and stuff that I had because I just finished the actual journal mm -hmm. and I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, could I burn all those pages? Oh my gosh, I'm having this reaction to like not wanting to do that. Well, that's also because your intention – intention is everything, as you guys know, right? So your intention when writing that was not that this was going to be getting some cancerous tumor out of you. Your intention was, you know, to reflect on your life or whatever mm -hmm. it is that was your intention. Journal speak is done with the intention that it is, it is, it is, it is allowing something that has been repressed and ugly and unseen – to be seen, to save your life and to change your brain and to change the way your body's responding to your trauma. It's not meant for that. So your burning of your pages would be a different okay. emotional process than what I'm saying. Because I'm like, can I but do still worthy of, I uh, do that? It's worthy of, uh, of inspection. But you know. Oh, I think so too because I sometimes go back and read it and I'm like, that's probably not healthy. Then I go back and read these entries because they're really dark. I don't know if I would want to – maybe I don't want to go read them. So that's something I need to reflect on. Thank yeah. you. Sure. <laughs> I think about it. Um, Taylor, oh my gosh, God bless you for like infinity because you sneezed a bunch. <laughs> I just heard you and I just wanted to say God bless Dang you. Dang it. You could hear it? <laughs> Hardly. Well, Hardly. I just a little bit, but I just Sorry, people. It. No, of no, course. you're great. You're such a trooper. Cause see, like this is an audio only podcast, but we can see each other. And I'm watching her just totally deal with this cold. And I think you're a warrior. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You made my day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was so great. Um, Taylor, is there anything else you feel like you want to add? I tried not to make no, it that too was a I was like so you. like zoned in on everything you were saying. I would definitely like love to hear more. I, I think you have to go though, right? Um, I have I have a few more minutes. I have a few more minutes if you want to talk a little more. Didn't Anything? you have a? Didn't we have one more question from someone? 
Yes, we do. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering if we did. Okay, good. Okay. So we so actually one of the questions that we already answered, I was gonna ask. So I'm actually excited someone said, why are some people more affected by anxiety and trauma than others? And so we kind of talked about that earlier. So that was good. Um someone else said, is it common to get anxiety a long time after trauma? Yes. Yes. And also, um, once again, I want to normalize anxiety, that anxiety is not a disorder. It's just a very normal way that the human brain and body function to keep you alert and safe. And as you were just saying, it's not always bad. We need our fear and our anxiety to allow us to pause and say, wait, is this safe or is this unsafe? You know, and one of the things I just want to say real quick about intuition is that I believe wholeheartedly 1 billion percent in intuition. And if you are in a space and you feel like someone's unsafe or something doesn't feel right, that's your gut. And that's anxiety in a sense, right? That's making you feel uneasy. And so anyway, I always think it should be honored. But the question about whether anxiety can be felt for a long time after a trauma, you know, any sort of trauma work will recognize the concept of dissociation and the concept of the fact that the reason we dissociate is because truly, truly, we are not safe to feel the extent and the power that is coming at us with the, with the, with the experience, with the reaction. And so I don't think dissociation is negative until it begins to steal from our ability to be present. And Mm -hmm. as you were just mentioning, awareness is the first step in any healing. So what I would say is that the most important thing, if you feel that you're not feeling, because that's what I think what a lot of people say to me is something horrible happened, I'm feeling nothing, is just to practice a lot of self-compassion around that and to understand that that's okay. And if the anxiety comes later, it's because your nervous system has deemed it safe for you to feel. And even though that feels terrible and it's the last thing you want, you should see it as a positive sign because you're moving toward the ability to heal and reconstruct now. I love that. Uh, Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. That was wonderful. Um, Okay. And then one last one. And and I – I know. I I just, I want to hear what you're going to say, but this person, I just feel for this person because they say, does it ever get easier and how long can the trauma linger? Oh, honey babies. Yes. Yes, my loves. I love, I love everybody because I just know how hard it is. And we're all just human beings with soft, chewy centers trying to get through in this complicated life where we feel so much. It absolutely gets easier. But here is the thing, and I said it before, faith without works is dead. I love that line because we must take action in order for things to change. If nothing happens, nothing happens. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And I say that with absolute love and and, and empathy because I know it's hard to take action. And your resistance is a function of your nervous system saying, no, no, don't look over here. Danger, danger. That will come across. It will whisper to you in your own voice and say, don't do the work. No, you're too tired. No, you've got something better to do. No, just take the pill. And I get it. And I'm not against the pill, by the way. I'm only I'm only against opioids and benzos because they make you an addict. But I'm not against antidepressants, but I am I do want people to work with it, work with mm-hmm. themselves because if nothing changes, nothing changes. So it does get easier, but it gets easier through action. Action informs ease in two ways. One, it literally brings you further along the path of healing. And two, it shows you you can trust yourself. Because if you know there's something healthy you need to do for yourself and every day you're not doing it, 
your self-esteem takes a hit. But if, but if you get up and even though you don't want to, you say, no, no, I'm going to sit and do this journal speak right now. Thank you. Thank you, nervous system. I appreciate the resistance. I love you and I honor you, but we're going to do this now. You learn to trust yourself. And when you build that relationship, it does change. And your trauma, I promise you, I have chills when I'm saying this. So whoever asked this question, know that I'm feeling you and I'm feeling how hard this is. Your trauma will become a story that you can tell without getting re-traumatized when you do this work, I promise. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. I, I I feel that there's a lot of hope. Um, yes. A lot of hope. And hopefully for people as well that started listening to this, that they feel within this last hour that they do feel hopeful that that um, there can be change and that change is possible for everybody and that um, healing is not linear, you know, and we talk about that all the time and that there are going to be setbacks and there are just going to be days um, where we are feeling more hopeless. But I think that this message today was very hopeful and I really appreciate you being here and sharing so much of your amazing knowledge with us. Um, and I'd love for you to be able to tell everyone where they can find you and find this amazing journal speak and um, just all your social media and stuff. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And um, it's been a pleasure to be here with you guys. Um, so my, my um, website is called thecureforchronicpain.com. Um, don't be put off by the word pain. I had to pick a name when I founded my brand 10 years ago, but it's not just pain. It's pain. It's anxiety. It's different disorders and symptoms and conditions and diagnoses and, and syndromes. So, so don't count yourself out. And also, even if you just have less joy than you'd like or fatigue or you know low energy, all of this is this function of the brain and the nervous system that we're talking about. So it's called thecureforchronicpain.com. I have a podcast and a YouTube channel of the same name. Um, I have an online community. It's a closed group on Facebook called Journal Speak with Nicole Sachs that you can join. Thousands and thousands of people in conversation. It is the most loving and supporting place on the internet. And I have several moderators and I keep it so. Um, and my Instagram at Nicole Sachs LCSW is a great place that I spend, as you guys know, a lot of time and energy um, bringing messages of healing and trauma-informed work. I have a book. It's called The Meaning of Truth. You can get it on Amazon. Nice. And I have two online courses, Freedom from Chronic Pain and Freedom from an Anxious Life. Um, and if you are suffering from anxiety and this work is new for you, I would definitely start with the Freedom from Chronic Pain course. The only reason is it's my foundation work and it really applies to anxiety as well. And the Freedom from an Anxious Life is more of like graduate work. Like once you really got yourself going, like more cognitive behavioral techniques to really like stop a panic attack and it tracks and, and to do deeper work um, is, is what you'll find there. That's awesome. Yes. And we'll put, we'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes too where they awesome. can find you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciated this. I feel like I've learned so much and um, we'd love to have you on at some point in the future again. And anytime sure there'd be so many more amazing healing tips that you could give. So thank you so much. And 
Remember, guys, follow the Anxiety Chicks on Instagram and the Anxiety Healer and Health underscore Anxiety. Um, you can pre-order my book, The Anxiety Healer's Guide on Amazon as well. It's in the show notes. And rate, review, and subscribe if you feel like this has been helpful. And find Taylor at peakofpanic.com. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.